Being without the electricity wasn't nearly as inconvenient as not having running water. Oh, yeah. The water situation was much more inconvenient at that time. Welcome to the Off-Grid Outpost podcast, where we discuss the journey to real liberty through self-sufficiency, counter-economics, non-aggression, and the agora. The Outpost represents the border between societal norm and the pioneer spirit. Every episode contains practical, philosophical, and technical information you can use to gain the freedom you deserve. Welcome, everybody, to the Off-Grid Outpost podcast. I am here with Cyrus. Good morning. I'm Regina, by the way, and today we are talking about the sixth pillar of going off-grid, energy systems. Electricity. Electricita. Yeah, big part of going off-grid. Well, I'd say, you know, the general population would prefer to have electricity than not. Mm Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is we could completely live without it. It would just be a little bit more than a minor inconvenience. Yeah. We did for a little while. And then uh, our first step was a little 45-watt solar system that was just enough to run a light bulb and keep our phones charged. Mm -hmm. And we did that for a long time. So how long did you go 100% without electricity? I think it was just a couple of months, and then, and we used our vehicle to keep our phones charged. Mm-hmm. And we, for light, we just used oil lamps. So how was it? How was the non-electricity time for you? Did you feel just completely inconvenienced? No, not really. Not at all. It wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, I'm trying to remember back because it's easy to say now that it wasn't that big a deal, but... You know what? It doesn't. It wasn't that big a deal because we had just made the move, and I think part of it was that everything was still pretty exciting that we had moved onto our land and were living in a tent for a little while, and it it was still kind of feeling like camping, and it hadn't gotten old. Yeah. So I I don't remember it being that big a deal. So you were in the off grid honeymoon phase. I, right. I guess there would be an off grid honeymoon phase. I never thought about that. Yeah, like yeah, the first three to six months. Yeah, that's a good way to explain it. Yeah, the off grid honeymoon phase. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a cool concept, but I guess if you think about it, okay, so you have no electricity, but you at least have your phones charged. What else do you need? Light. Yeah, I mean, you can do everything, you know, you just get everything done during the daylight. And then we were going to bed pretty early because once the sun went down, everything was dark. And, you know, you just do everything during daylight hours and you sleep when it's dark. But we would use oil lamps and read at night before we went to sleep. I don't know. To me, it sounds kind of peaceful. Yeah, it was really peaceful. Being without the electricity wasn't nearly as inconvenient as not having running water. Oh, yeah. The water situation was much more inconvenient at that time. Well, I think when you're without electricity, you just, you're, you kind of naturally become more diurnal. You just really follow the rhythm of the sun, take advantage of daylight, Mm -hmm. have a little lamp, like you're saying, for a couple hours 
unwinding and you're done. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically what it Interesting. was. Well. Well, so we can get into the different energy systems. You know, we can talk about the different ways to produce electricity if you're going to decide not to go without electricity. Before we get into that, within this episode, we're talking about electricity, heating, cooling, and cooking. So we're going over all sorts of energy forms, not just electricity. Right. It's just that electricity is a very large portion of energy. So Right. Just so you know, that's what you can expect from this episode. You can also go to the com for great content, free PDFs, mm-hmm. ebooks, and lots of fun stuff on there too. Mm-hmm. We got our first All T-shirt right, so back to there. What, back to back to the electricity. What's that? I was just saying we finally designed a T-shirt and put it up. There is a T-shirt on there. One lone T-shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More to come. It's kind of funny, though. There's more to come. (laughs) I hope so. So back to the electricity option. So A, you can do without electricity, which is not as painful as it sounds. Yeah, it's More of a minor inconvenience than a major inconvenience. Mm Mm-hmm. The most obvious form of electricity is solar. Yeah, most prevalent, easiest to set up. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And cost-wise, probably still the cheapest. Yeah, I would think so. Um, Of course, there's always downfalls to solar, such as you need 100% of your panel exposed to the sun, really, to get the maximum benefit. Mm -hmm. If you live in an area that's prone to being cloudy, prone to being rainy, it may not really work out for you. Yeah, you would... You could supplement with another system. You know, a lot of places that are cloudy a lot typically are windy a lot, too. So you could have both a solar panel and a wind turbine. That would probably be a good solution. Mm Mm-hmm. So out here in Arizona, the sun shines pretty much all the time. So out here is an ideal place for a solar farm. Mm-hmm. solar panel setup. Yeah. However, it's always wise to have a backup generator along with a backup battery system so you can preserve energy and then if you run out of your battery power, then you switch over to your generator. Yeah. If need be. Yeah, well that's what we do at the current time because we've uh we've increased our energy usage a lot more than our solar system will handle now. So I have a generator that we supplement with until we can um, add to the solar system and get it up to the size we need to accommodate our electrical usage now. Well, and solar's gotten a lot cheaper over the past even couple of years. Mm-hmm. A lot cheaper and a lot more efficient as well. Yeah, if you uh, if you do the installation yourself now, you're looking at like two dollars a watt, which is pretty cheap compared to mm-hmm. where the cost of solar has been in the past. It's a 
constantly upgrading. I constantly see new technologies coming out, new types of panels. It's pretty interesting mm-hmm. that there's so much development in the solar energy field. It's much more affordable. It's much more efficient. That would probably be my primary choice for electricity. But going down the line, like you're mentioning, a wind situation. Mm-hmm. And wind turbine, it's basically the same system. You just swap out the solar panels for the wind generator. You still have batteries. You still have an inverter and charge controller. So the only real difference is instead of a panel, you have a windmill, mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a little more cost involved because you've got to have a tower to put the wind generator on, uh, which is a cost that solar doesn't have. And the good thing about solar, too, is it's easily stackable. Like adding to the system is just really simple. Yeah, you can expand your solar array pretty pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen a lot of wind power being used for livestock for watering troughs things like that Mm -hmm. that kind of works well for that situation yeah and that's not even electrical that's most of the time that's just mechanical the windmill is is mechanically powering a piston in a well that's pumping water yep which is also a good idea yeah which is also an option just for your watering your water system that you build you know if you have a shallow well that can be uh, that you can pump water into a cistern with a windmill if you have if you're in a windy place that's a another addition to the water system which I don't know if we actually even talked about when we were talking about water systems we did not at all bring up a windmill in the water systems episode yeah. Which is a which is a shame because it's actually a great system. Yeah. <laughs> we got blindsided. There yeah. was a lot of information in that water episode though. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Both of them. Part one and two. Mm-hmm. So I guess we can, you know, as an afterthought, mention the windmill water system. Yeah. So then you can also create electricity hydrologically. Is that a word? I don't know. Sounds like a good word. Hydrologically. Yeah, that sounds like a great word. I like it. Yeah. Just a fabulous. A little, uh, what they call micro hydro unit that you can put in a creek. You can build a, uh, like a reservoir if you have a creek, and then pipe water from the reservoir in such a way that it increases velocity down the line to run a microhydro unit. Hmm. I wonder how much electricity that would produce. Would it be feasible for relying on that? Well, it depends on uh, how much water you have on your property that's moving. Yeah. And those are stackable too. You can use more than one. The good thing about hydro, Hmm. what makes it better than all the rest in one regard, is that if you have a running creek, it is always making electricity. You're not counting on the sun being up. You're not counting on the wind. It is always, it's just always making electricity. That's the good side. 
Yes, if you're fortunate enough to have running water on your property, might as well take advantage of that. Absolutely, yeah. And you can always have a secondary solar power system as a backup Mm -hmm. if you needed to. Or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely use hydro if I had full-time running water. That would be awesome. I don't think... A lot of land does not have running water, mm-hmm. and land with running water on it is expensive. Yeah. That's like a prime feature of land. You could almost double or triple a property value with a water, a running water through it. Even a even a seasonal creek, you're going to look at higher property values. Don't you think? Uh, it, it can, yeah. I mean, my property has... I think it has depends a, on the region you're in, too. Yeah, my... A lot of properties around here have seasonal running water for, you know, a few months out of the year. So I don't think it affects price here. But. I know that in Montana, it does. Definitely Montana. If you have riverfront access, creek, spring, you might as well just tack on a bunch of grands onto the price. Mm -hmm. And then out here in Arizona... Now you're looking at adding some zeros onto the price if you have water. Right. (laughs) A natural water source. Then you're really looking at paying. So, yes, I guess the price would be contingent upon what area you live in because some areas are just flush with water. Yeah. Well, now we're talking about water. So let's go back to electricity. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Gasification. I... Gasification is one of my favorites, and I made a gasifier when we lived in Oklahoma and was in the process of kind of perfecting the design, but uh, kind of abandoned it once we moved out this way. But for those that aren't Mm. familiar with the process, it's basically smoldering wood in a system where you capture the gases that are produced, you cool the gases... You filter the gases, and those gases are flammable. And then you can, with those gases, run a power plant, run a generator to produce electricity. Or you can run any engine. Interesting. I mean, a vehicle, uh, you know, whatever, log splitter. And what I wanted to do was build, like, a mobile gasification unit that I could just hook up to different engines Oh, wow. Yeah. It's really fascinating. And, and that uses, that's the gasifier effect, right? Yeah. It, well, they're called gasifiers. Uh, it's called gasification or wood gas. Uh, it's also called town gas. Um, it's a really old technology from 100 years ago. Uh and it's a yeah. and it's a really deep YouTube rabbit hole. So if you're interested in checking it out, YouTube is where to go. Almost sounds kind of steampunk, but with gas instead of steam. Yeah, gas punk. Gas punk. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, I made a video. I made a video on YouTube with the wood burning stoves. I did a review of the solo stove. And it says that it uses the gasifier effect. And at the time, I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. So now I know. 
So what it's doing is... This wood-burning stove double burns the gas that's, that's right. flammable. And makes it more efficient. Yeah. Okay, now it makes sense. Now I want to redo the video because I sound like an idiot. Because <laughs> I have no idea what it means. <laughs> and, and for those people that are familiar with rocket stoves, uh, it's the same thing. It's using the same effect, the rocket stove. Right. And those are really awesome. So you burn the wood and then you burn the gas and then you get a double burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. And that's a fun topic. Yeah. Gasification. And it's just something I think you can buy them now. You can buy uh, pre-made gasifiers, but you can build them yourself, too. But you've got to have some kind of machine skills and welding skills to do it. It would be a good backup, though, right? Oh, yeah. Because all it takes, you know, all it takes is wood. So if you live somewhere like I do, where wood is everywhere, uh, it's a great source. Interesting. Renewable. So then we go on to the final topic of electricity, which is the generator. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's would essentially be a backup. I mean, I would not want to run a generator full-time for power. No. I mean, even us supplementing with the generator, it's more than what I want to do. But the good right. thing is right now, gasoline's not that expensive, so it doesn't cost a well, lot. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. They're just kind of noisy and stinky and it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be your primary energy source. But I think with any of these, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have a generator because technically anything in this section could break down yeah or something goes wrong like you don't have enough wind for a while yeah you don't have enough solar you don't have enough wood even hydropower something happens your creek gets dammed up by some beavers upstream on somebody else's property so it would be smart to have a generator on hand yeah, if in you're any off-grid. off-grid situation. Yeah, if you're off-grid, you definitely want to have one, Just even if it just sits in the shed most of the time. And if it does, then you're just prolonging the life of it mm-hmm. because you're not using it. So it's not going to hurt it to sit around yeah, unless it's full of gas. Yeah, as long as you're not storing it with gas in it. All right, well, that was round one. Let's go to round two, which is heating. Heating, yes. Some areas are more important to heat than others, like in Montana or North Dakota, where mm-hmm. you will die if you don't have heat. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And in those areas, you don't see many bums. If there are bums, they're typically vagabonds that are moving through the area because they can't survive outside it in the winter. Yeah. Just yeah. as a side note. That makes sense. Yeah. So heating's kind of a big deal because it It can be fairly labor intensive and you also may be in a situation where you're relying on a municipal source for your heat, such as propane, which isn't quite municipal, but you know what I mean. You're relying on a different company to produce it. Right. So a lot of people, a lot of ranches in Montana, they rely on propane tank. So what happens if your propane runs out? in the middle of the winter for whatever reason it is Mm -hmm. what happens if the guy can't come and deliver propane probably want to have a backup yeah wood burning stove solar furnace you know different 
So that's interesting. The solar furnace. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you will have a panel. No, that's the water. Well, I guess technically that's heating. It's heating water. So you have a solar unit, a solar panel that's actually tubes where the water runs through and that that heats up the tubes of water that goes and gets delivered into your hot water system. Uh, that's certainly a way to use solar. Sure. Uh, what I'm talking about when I say yeah. a solar furnace is you just, uh, it, most people just make them themselves. You build a box with a glass top with material inside the box made of metal that's painted black and it will heat it up and you just circulate that air into the house either passively or you know with a small fan like even a a computer fan and hmm. that the box will heat the air up and it's sitting outside like on the south side of your cabin or house or whatever you can even just like lean it against the house. It doesn't even have to be attached and then have a, a pipe like a, you know, you could use like a dryer vent, you know, and just pipe it into the house through a window or you could make an opening in a wall for it. Um, and it cert and it takes the cold air that's outside. It heats it inside that box and then you move it to the house either with a fan or just passively because heat rises you can uh the cold air will come in the bottom of the back box and just naturally flow through the top of the box and into the house how would you moderate the temperature would you just have to shut you'd have to have like a shut off type valve of some sort because what happens if it gets too hot um yeah you can have like a uh like wherever the hose that comes into the house, whatever the pipe that comes into the house, you can just have a cover that goes over it that just doesn't allow the yeah. hot air to yeah, come that's in. Awesome. So there's no thermostat. You have to manually handle that. Right. Clear, clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The upside is it's just free heat. Doesn't cost anything. Doesn't, yeah, that's a really cool idea. Yeah, you build it one time. That'd be great for a yurt. It would be great for a year, for sure. You All your energy is spent in building it, and then it's done, you know, as opposed to... And it's done. Like propane, where you're constantly buying propane, or wood, where you're constantly having to split wood. This, there's nothing to do. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. That's fully automated. Yeah. I wonder how effective it is. It sounds like it would be fairly effective. Uh, it would be really effective for a small space. I mean, if you have a large structure, yeah. it's not going to work that well. It might work for like a room. Yeah, that's why I was thinking for a yurt, because it's basically one round space. Right. There might be some walls, but typically it's just open air. Mm -hmm. It'd probably be perfect for a yurt. Yeah, it would be really good for a yurt. And it could even be treated like a, could be treated like a supplemental system too. You know, as you're moving into winter, you don't quite need a lot of heat, and it could be the full-time heat source until it gets really, really cold, where you might have a small wood stove or, or a propane heater or something like that to help it along when on the really cold nights. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you could use solar for electricity, heating, and water heating as well. And could cooking. all be electric, or I'll be a uh, solar and cooking. Mm-hmm. The sun is great. No wonder we worshipped it for so long. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and these are all great ideas for a desert area where you're just getting tons of sun. You might as well set up all your systems if you know you're going to have tons of sun most of the time. Right. So I'm going along in the heating, so geothermal. Now that's a little trickier. Yeah, that's a pretty complex system, but super efficient. Uh, basically, you're... That'd be awesome. Yeah, you're taking the... You're using the Earth's temperature to either heat or cool. I mean, it can be... It, it can do the same thing in the winter and the summer. So... You dig down into the earth to a certain depth, and there's a constant temperature. No matter what the temperature is outside at the surface, there's a constant temperature down at that depth. And then you run right. You run these pipes underground with filled with water, and you circulate the water into the floor. Or they have geothermal, like central heat and air units now, where uh, that there's a uh, an exchanger inside the unit that takes that piped water and pulls the temperature out of it and puts it into the house. And so a little bit more complicated to build and it will use electricity because you have to circulate that water. So there's a water pump involved. Um, mm -hmm. But it's using a re renewable source you know, just the temperature of the earth. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And if you're lucky enough to have a geothermal feature on your property, like a hot spring mm -hmm. or a geyser, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think many people have geysers on their, <laughs> on their property. Probably not. <laughs> hot springs are probably a little bit more common. Yeah. That's so funny. Well, and I wish I had a geyser on my property. I'd charge for that. Shoot, yeah. Tickets. And some people use geothermal just for cooling. Like if you have a pond, you can run all your piping. Uh, you can just build a big coil at the bottom of your pond, and the pond will keep that cooler temperature, and then you pipe it into the house, into the floor, or a geothermal central heat and air unit to get cooling for your house too. Yeah, when we go spelunking in old mine shafts, the temperature of the mines are pretty much right at 65 degrees no matter what. Mm -hmm. No matter how hot or cold outside, it stays at nice, cool temperature, or perfect temperature, really. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a lot more work, but then again, it's... Other than the electricity for the pump, it's fully automated. You don't have to keep feeding it. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the downsides to it, too, yeah. is you you can't get a drastic temperature change quickly. Like, if, yeah. like when you wake up, for us, we use wood heat. And so 
through the night, the fire goes down. I wake up in the morning and it's really cool in there. And I want to get a raging fire going real fast and it'll heat the house up. It'll heat the cabin up really quick. And then I can mm-hmm. choke the fire down and, you know, slow it down a little bit. But with geothermal, there's nothing happens really quick. It's a slow, steady yeah. temperature change. So you'd probably want to have a secondary type heating cooling system with geothermal. Mm-hmm. Like a wood burning stove solar or something like that right and then the final topic in the heating section is plain old passive yeah just how you build the house you know you um, have a lot of windows on a south facing side to get more sunlight into the house which helps keep the house warmer um Mm -hmm insulate it really well so that you're not just constantly losing heat through the walls and roof and all of that so just little passive things you can do to help yeah build it into your design exactly to begin with Mm -hmm. well and you can also build your structure in the side of a hill make it a little bit subterranean Mm -hmm. and you'll have a heating your house will be warmer in the winters and cooler in the summers. Yeah. A naturally regulated using, temperature. Yeah. Using the natural features of the land. Even if you did a partial, you could do partial. Mm-hmm. You don't have to put the whole thing underground. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, you know, older houses that have basements and they have that that big fan in the hallway that's in the ceiling in the hallway. I don't know if you've ever noticed it in older houses, but they call it a, a house fan. Mm-hmm. And so if you okay. if you had a basement where the air is all cooler down in the basement, you turn on this big fan that's typically centrally located in the house and it pulls all pulls all that cool air through the house and just circulates cool air constantly through the house just with a fan. And those worked pretty good. Nice. Yeah, and that would be in our next section, which is air conditioning. Yeah, air conditioning is probably the biggest thing with most people going off grid. You know, it's it's a big... Uh, we're, we're so used to a comfort level of around 72 degrees. It takes a lot of energy to keep a house at 72 degrees during the summertime if you're in a place that has hot summers. And so, yeah, AC is very energy intensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your central it's, air conditioning. It takes so much energy to run the air conditioner. Yeah, so like much Like in our so camper. That, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say in our camper, we have two AC units. And in the camper, you roast because you're basically an aluminum can in the sun. Right. So it's very difficult to keep climate maintained in a camper. Heating is not so bad until you get to a certain temperature. I found that anything below 20 degrees in a camper, depending on if you have an all-season camper or not, anything below, it starts getting really intensive on the heat, on the furnace, which costs a fortune to run. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And then same with the summer. Anything above 95 in a camper and your two ACs are working full time day and night and you can't get it under 77 degrees. Right. So heating and cooling in a camper is very energy intensive. Just as a side note, I suppose. Yeah. If that's your choice of living situation, be Mm -hmm. prepared to pay some serious bucks or set up a pretty serious solar power system to keep your camper cool and warm. And you can't really do it without propane for warmth. You get to a point where you can't rely on the electrical. Yeah, and the bad side about the propane in a camper, well, I would imagine it creates a lot of condensation, doesn't it? No, no, we haven't had condensation issues with the propane. No? That I know of. Okay. I've just, I've heard that burning propane in a closed-in area, uh, like it's a, they call it a humid heat. Mm. I don't know. I might be mistaken about all that. Well, the area we've been in, our cold is dry. We have arid cold. I see. So maybe the humid heat kind of balanced out. But if you're in an area with a lake effect... And you have a high humid cold, which is the worst cold, by the way. Mm. And you ice over a lot. I could see that. I could see that being an issue. Yeah. Yeah. The cost of air conditioning is why we've just chosen to live without it, which is. And human beings have lived without air conditioning for thousands of years. It's only, I mean, when was air conditioning even invented? What, 1850s? Yeah, I don't even know, but it hadn't been that long. You know, hadn't been that long. I don't think it's been that long. So it's... I'm going to have to look that up real quick. Well, I mean, even... Uh, my point is, even if it was the 20s, that's just not a long period of time compared to history. So you can definitely live without when air conditioning. Was... We do it, and we we have some pretty hot, humid summers here. It can get It can get pretty uncomfortable, though. For me, especially like yeah. trying to sleep at night, you know, and it's hot and you're sweating. That would be the hardest part. Mm-hmm. 1902. The first modern air conditioner was invented in 1902. Wow. And he created it, Willis Haviland Carrier, an engineer. He was experimenting with the laws of humidity control to solve an application problem at a printing plant. And that's how it came around. So he was trying to pull humidity out of the air and realized, wow, I make cold air. Pretty much, yeah. That's how that all went down. That's awesome. And then I imagine we didn't get that distributed commonly into homes probably for a couple decades. Yeah until air conditioners. So we've had air conditioning out of our human history. We've had air conditioning for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Basically. Blink so, of an eye. To put it into a little bit of perspective of how comfortable we've become with our modern day systems. Right. Yeah. I tend to be a little bit of a fair weather person and that's something I could probably work on. You know, we kind of just acclimate to our indoor air-conditioned environments and we become comfortable and comfortable 
becomes complacent at some point. Mm-hmm. So it would be uncomfortable, though, really, to be in 90 degree heat, 100 degree heat, humidity all day, every day. It'd be tough. Yeah, there's definitely discomfort there. But, you know, it's not uh, yeah. It's not life-ending. It's not like live, trying to live through a winter in Montana without heating. Yeah, you're going to, I mean, unless you get heat stroke because you're working hard in the sun. Mm, yeah. You can always find yourself a shady place to cool off as long as you have water. You're not going to die as right. opposed to Montana where you can literally freeze to death in your bed because you have no heating. Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty serious, you know, if you're thinking about going off grid in Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, North, South Dakota, Alaska. That's a pretty serious thing to have your energy system set up. Yeah. Luckily, heating is a lot easier than cooling. Yeah, cooling is tricky. So basically, it's either electric air conditioning or passive air conditioning where you build your setup to promote cooler air. Yeah. That's all your that's all your options. Yeah. Build your cabin in the shade. Have large uh overhangs on porches to shade windows from the sun. Um and the material you use, if you use like a, a clay material or a brick, you're gonna be cooler mm-hmm. in the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are all passive ways. Building subterranean, living in a cave is a great idea. I have one picked out. <laughs> <laughs> you ready? Well, it's not a cave. It's a mine shaft, but it works like a cave. Yeah. Pretty sure there are some animals already living in it, but that's okay. We can share. Yeah. You might have a bat problem. You can share with bats, too. You know what? I like bats. I think bats are adorable. They are kind of cute. In the and same guano way that is one of the best uh, fertilizers out there. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. Bats are your friend. They do carry diseases occasionally, you know, that kind of thing. But but apparently we do too, so. Yeah, we. I guess we do too. Hmm. Interesting. So then our final topic of the day is uh, cooking energy. Yeah, we already mentioned solar. It's pretty yeah. simple to build a so solar So you make a, a solar cook stove, right? Yeah. Solar oven. You can build a solar oven. You can buy solar ovens. Yeah, in fact, there's one I want to buy now that uh, looks pretty awesome, but I haven't got it yet. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think when I buy it, I'll do a review so people can check it out. But it's it uses... Um, vacuum tube technology so like if you build your own solar oven takes a couple hours to cook something and with this particular solar oven it's called go sun but uh like 30 Mm. minutes to cook a meal in the sun wow yeah yeah i'm pretty excited about it i'm gonna get one at some point yeah that sounds really cool yeah so you've got solar again the sun is awesome can cook food with it sun's awesome you can do everything with the sun Mm -hmm. except for maybe cool down yeah 
Well, I guess you make the electricity to cool down with the sun, so technically by proxy, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you've got wood. There are wood-burning cook stoves that you can put in a kitchen. Those are pretty awesome. I mm. don't really want to use them in the summer. Yeah, you'll make your house hot. Yeah, and for a long time when we moved here, all of our cooking was done just campfire style. Until yep. we got a little propane cowboy style cooktop, yeah, cowboy style. That was something else. Coffee, everything was on food. The... Tastes so much better off a camp stove. It, that is true. Or a like a wood stove, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, campfire uh, bacon and eggs. You can't beat it. Oh, oh my god! It sounds so good in a cast iron. Mm-hmm. You just can't beat it. Mm. It's kind of a pain to build up the fire and get it to the right temperature to cook on, though, as far as a daily use. Yeah, time consuming. Because you got to build the fire, then you got to wait. You got to build the coal, coal bed. And yeah, it's time consuming. It's inconvenient. But you can certainly do it. We did it for quite a while. And, you know, we have a wood burning stove that the, we hit, heat the house with, and it's got a couple of burners on top. So in the wintertime, I make coffee on the wood-burning stove and keep a pot of water on the wood-burning stove. Right. So that, you know, you got some hot water already ready whenever you want to do some cooking or whatever. I've made waffles on the wood-burning stove, eggs, bacon. We've cooked all kinds of things on the wood-burning stove. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a twofer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, it'd be cool, and you see them, like, at old missions, are the old, like, clay ovens they used to make back in the day. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's clay that they use, but you know what I'm talking about. They're like domes. Like a pizza oven? Yeah. And they made like bread and stuff in them? Like an old school pizza oven type thing. Yeah, you That you, you have it out outside. I think it's clay is the traditional way they used to build them back in the old mission days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are really cool. The bread. Oh, my God. The bread that comes out of those ovens are unreal. Heavenly bread. I'd probably have to build one of those. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So the, ol- the other thing. So we got wood, propane, solar, and then there's natural gas. Propane and natural gas. Those are basically the same thing. Right. I mean, they're not the same thing, but you use them in the same ways. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with natural gas off-grid. I haven't encountered natural gas a whole lot that's non-municipal. Yeah, so what's... So I imagine there'd be a tank system like you'd have with propane. Well, no, it's underground piping, but in an off-grid situation, like an idea would be... And this is um, common in Oklahoma... I'm not sure about other places, mm. but like if you have uh, like an, an oil and gas company, they want to pipe natural gas across your property, you can put in your contract mm. that mm-hmm. they have to put a spigot on your property. And so you just get, you get to use natural gas for free instead, right. of, instead of them paying you to, to move natural gas through your property 
I've known of a lot of people who have done that. Ranchers who have, uh, they just have free natural gas because a, an oil and gas company wanted to move natural gas through their property and they just said, okay, well, just put me a spigot in, let me use it. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. So that would be awesome in an off-grid situation. Yeah, if you're in a situation, a unique situation like that. So West Texas, North Dakota, Eastern Montana, Oklahoma, big gas, big gas, natural oil and gas, gas pipeline heavy areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because natural gas is a byproduct of oil mm -hmm. and they just burn it off. You'll see flumes all over just burning off natural gas because they make so much of it. They, they don't have enough demand to even sell it. Oh, That's wow. how much natural gas is made. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, they have to build a whole factory, a whole plant to process natural gas. And they make so much oil. Like you go to North Dakota, the skies aren't even dark there anymore. You can't even find a dark place in Western North Dakota. Because there's so many flumes from oh, the gas drilling. Off. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And they just burn it. That reminds me of in Oklahoma it's City. It's crazy. They have this huge landfill in Oklahoma City that produces so much methane that they have some of those flume, uh, flume pipes where there's just a constant flame of methane just burning off from that's being produced inside that massive landfill. Yeah, and you just brought up a an off-grid energy system there that isn't on our list. A methane digester, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are cool. So you use your sewage, basically. It goes into, like, a bladder-type system. And kitchen and waste. And you collect the gases off of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's and DIY stuff you can burn stuff those gases. There's DIY stuff for that, too. Mm -hmm. How to build your own uh, methane digester. And you can buy them. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the landfill thing because a methane digester, that's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. And you can cook with methane, too. Fully renewable. You can you can cook with it, too. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a real clean flame. Like natural gas is. Pretty blue flame. And it doesn't it doesn't stink when you burn it, so... You know, it's like propane. Yeah, it's not a stinky system. Yeah. Yeah. It's like propane. You can smell it when you hook it up and all that, but once it's burning, you don't smell anything. And that's off of sewage, right? Mm -hmm. Am I right on that? The methane digester? You can do it off sewage. Yeah. You can do it off, it's actually any kind of uh, biomatter that decomposes. It's the decom decomposition that produces the methane. So yeah, so rotting scrap. food. Mm-hmm. Human waste. Grass clippings. So basically, as long as you're taking a shit, you're going to have heat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I can almost guarantee that that's going to be happening. Yeah. That's actually a 100% guarantee. Yeah. So uh, how do you heat your house? Oh, just with my crap. Just... <laughs> I just pooped. But I don't know if it would work for a single person, though. Does a <laughs> single person create enough shit to heat the house? Well, I've That's known the question. Some people. 
it's hilarious. I think a, mes- a methane digester would be good for like a commune type system, like a commune uh, community. I don't know if it could run off a single person's right. Well, waste. and especially if you have, if you choose to raise livestock, you know, like cattle or something like that. Oh, that's a great idea. Well, and there are there are large cattle operations that use that technology. Then you don't have to worry about compensation. You can just buy a couple cows, some goats, pigs, whatever you want, and you're pretty much set. Yeah. Well, I think the methane the methane digester kind of wraps up this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good stopping point. Yeah, good note to end on. So we've covered energy yep. systems for off-grid living. It's good stuff. We had a lot of really good, interesting information in there of things maybe many of you haven't heard of. So lots of uh, diversification away from solar, mm-hmm. if that's what you want to do. Yeah. And, you know, stack systems. Use multiple different systems. I think diversity is really key to a successful off-grid build. Mm-hmm. You need some redundancies when you're relying on your own sources. Well, I'd like to invite you again to check out theoffgridoutpost.com. You can always email us at cyrus at theoffgridoutpost.com or regina at theoffgridoutpost.com with any questions or comments you have. Feel free to leave us a recorded voice message. The link is in the show notes. And uh, don't forget to rate this podcast. It helps us get found in the algorithms. Yeah. And tell your friends. Tell all your buddies. We appreciate all of your support, too. If you've purchased any of our stuff, like our ebook, there are more ebooks to come. We're actually working on one right now. Mm hmm. How to Make Moonshine from Start to Finish. I'm sure none of you will be able to resist that. Oh, no. Everybody wants that book. <laughs> I know I want it. Shoot. Oh, yeah. Learning how to still is a huge, valuable skill. It would definitely be something I'd be interested in learning. It is a good skill. Very useful for more than just mm-hmm. uh, getting drunk. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, tune in next time, and we hope to hear from you. Talk to you later. Peace. Here's a little teaser for what's coming next week. And I have a big secret to investing that I want to share with you that is super valuable. It's the only investment advice you will ever need. Really? Yeah. That sounds awesome. What is it? We don't know shit. Thanks for listening to the Off Grid Outpost podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe so you can get all the new episodes.